This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, October 18th, 2017. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I was talking to a bunch of smart people today about Trump. Oh, oh. Perhaps now it's a good time to reveal how I do what I do. See, I talk to these people, and then a couple days later, it shows up on the show. So the things I'm thinking about right now might be about the guests I just talked to that you're not going to get for a couple days. There's like an insight lag. Wait, why is Mike talking about that now? You know, why is Mike talking about an air-cooled overhead valve, 45-degree V-twin engine, and a long goatee? And then it turns out the guys from American Chopper are on the show. You see how this works? So I was talking to some smart political folk. You'll find out who. I liked them. And they were laying their insight on me. And I was thinking in a way... This is what I do. I read. I talk. Maybe I lay some insight on you. So what was going on with me maybe goes on with you. If you take some of my insight to heart, some of the other insight you exposed yourself to, political gab fest, Isaac Chotner, Ezra Klein, I could name smart people. And then it hit me. This might be the problem that all the smart people who are talking about Trump and what gave rise to Trump and what might, you know, trip Trump up. We don't understand the dumb guys. I mean, we think we understand the dumb guys. We are the ones who invented IQ tests and stuff. But when it comes to an election, it's really driven by the dumb guys. And aren't the dumb guys, I don't know the best to explain this in words, but don't they feel it more than we think it? Let me give you an analogy. Let's say I had a team of learned people, broadly defined, people who understood physiology, but also people who are really good at design and aesthetics and, you know, beauty experts, let's say. And I said to them, design a porn star. You know, it was like 50, 60 years ago. Go ahead, go ahead. Come up with someone who you think we're all going to get really hot and bothered about. I think the smart people might come up with long legs and silky hair and a sultry voice. Sultriness will definitely be emphasized. Whenever they do the thinking man's pinup thing, there's a lot of sultriness. But you know what you Hefner did? And he's not a dumb guy, but he's kind of typical of what I'm talking about. You Hefner essentially said, mm, I'd go with blonde hair, big boobs, and a high voice. And he was right. The dumb guy, you Hefner wasn't dumb. He was a good publisher. But just the very simple, non-too-thought-out explanation of, who's the American man going to go for? I'd go with the big boobs, and let's not overthink that. I think Trump is sort of a version of the big boobs, if not the biggest boob. And when you get down to it, I think we've always conceived of an election as a set of choices and policies we prefer. Isn't it a lot more like reaching for a nudie mag than it is a series of considered events? Isn't it more reptilian than we care to admit? Anyway, I wouldn't say the the smart guys are worthless in this, right? They're actually smart guys. Like I was just reading this study that shows that past research has investigated ideals of beauty and how these ideals have changed across time. In a current study, facial and body characteristics of Playboy Playmates of the Year were identified and correlated to social and economic factors. And they found that <laughs> consistent with environmental security hypothesis predictions, when social and economic conditions were difficult, 
older, heavier, taller Playboy Playmates of the year with smaller eyes and larger waist-to-hip ratios were selected. Of course, the dumb guy would say, yeah, the ones with the big boobs. Just something I wonder about. On the show today, I will spiel about the Russian connection, or at least an argument about how much time each side has to demonstrate the Russian connection. But first, we will roll the dice with Maria Konnikova. She is here to play Is That Bullshit? The topic is The Gambler's Fallacy. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Joining us now, once again, is Maria Konnikova. She is the author of The Confidence Game, but I am more interested in a new project she has undertaken. Maria Konnikova plays Is That Bullshit with us, and we're going to apply her Is That Bullshit skills to the lifestyle she's adapted. So, hey, Maria, how are you? Doing well. How are you, Mike? I'm, I'm well. Um, have, you, have you drawn into a uh, inside straight lately? Um, no, I usually let those hands go if the bet's large enough. Yeah, which which is to say, are you now a professional poker player? I'm moonlighting as one, yeah. 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 Tell me about this, and then we'll get to our <laughs> Is That Bullshit topic. So uh, my next book uses poker, specifically No Limit Hold'em, mm-hmm. as a metaphor for life. And so I'm on this narrative journey where I've gone from- You hope, if you're good enough. I hope, I yeah. hope, yes. Depends I'm, on I'm your part way. I'm, and, part, yeah. I'm part way through the narrative journey yeah. uh, where I went from knowing nothing about poker to playing full-time. Now, when you say playing full-time, mm-hmm. how'd that come about? So I knew I was going to be doing that kind of as part of this book project because the only way that you're going to become an expert in something is by spending lots and lots of time doing it. And in order for kind of for me to be able to improve my decision making yes. and really figure out, you know, what's going on and be able to use poker as a tool to do better and make better decisions outside of poker, I felt like I had to spend all of my time on poker. Which is exactly why you also became a con man and started solving crimes in Victorian England. Exactly, exactly. So so I actually, so most people play poker in a baseball cap, sometimes a visor. I use a deer stalker. Deer stalker. Yeah, so that's kind of, (laughs) unfortunately, smoking is not allowed at the table. Otherwise, I'd have my pipe. You can't vape pipe? You can't vape pipe normally. You can't vape at the table? No, you can't. So, Maria, this brings us to our Is That Bullshit segment, The Gambler's Fallacy. And The Gambler's Fallacy is, of course... The belief that, well, I guess there are a couple fallacies, but as I know it, tell me if I'm right, it's the belief that your luck's going to change or, you know, red is due. Like you're playing roulette, green, 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 oh, red's due. Exactly. Things will even out in the pretty short term. Yes, that's exactly right. Am I saying it right? You are saying this right. Um, So it was originally not called the gambler's fallacy. Back in the 70s when Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky were doing all of their studies on behavioral economics, um, they wrote a paper on something called the belief in the law of small numbers, Mm -hmm. which is this human tendency to think that 
probabilities that should hold over the long term are also going to hold over the short term. Yep. So tails, I, tails, tails. Oh, got to bet heads. Right. So out of 10 coin flips, how many are going to be heads and how many are going to be tails? Yeah. Roughly 50-50 yeah. is what our mind says. Yeah. Even though really it could be 10. Yeah. Because could be 10. Could be 10 and zero. Yeah. Because that probability tells us nothing about the short term. Right. And yet our brain really kind of makes this leap that, wait, if it keeps being heads, heads, it must yeah. be tails. So I think the single most likely number is five. In fact, I know it, but it's much more likely that it'll be six or four instead of five. Absolutely. Yeah. And this was around even longer. There was a really cool study that was done, I believe, back in the 40s. It might have been the 50s, where people were asked to predict whether the next thing that the experimenter was going to say was going to be a plus or a check. And so they actually had to just write it down first. And then the experimenter would say it, and you'd see if your prediction was correct. And what ended up happening was there was always the same number of pluses and checks, and yet the order was skewed depending on the condition that the person was in. So for instance, there were times when it became very clear that everything was pluses. Yeah. Right? And then but the people kept predicting then check. And the more pluses there were, the more they thought that there was going They're to be a check. Antsy. Yeah. Because even though and it kept being a plus. So they should have, you know, if you're learning correctly from experience, you should realize, oh, I'm probably in a skewed condition. Right. But, if you're playing roulette and there are seven greens, I guess a lot of people would say, well, reds do, but I might say the roulette wheel's broken. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So people really tend to not like it when something keeps happening right. over and over and over when it's something that they're not predicting correctly. Now, this actually goes the other way. So there's a related concept called the hot hand fallacy. Sure. And that actually has to do with if you're running well, you're going to keep running well. Mm-hmm. So if you're a basketball player, that it comes from basketball, and the player has been making you know, two baskets in a row, three baskets in a row, everyone starts giving him the ball because he has a hot hand, and all the plays start revolving around him because, get him, he's hot. Right. And so it's very interesting how your brain is able to dissociate and do those two things at the same time. So we've got the gambler's fallacy. If I'm losing, I'm overdue to win. And yet if I'm winning, I'm going to keep winning because it's my I'm actually taking ownership of that. That means that I'm predicting correctly. My outcomes are correct. Is the difference that one is perceived as pure luck and the other is perceived as skill based? No one would really think a roulette wheel takes skill, but uh, shooting a basketball does. No, because you actually see both of those things happening in the casino. Mm -hmm. There was a really interesting study done where these psychologists decided to actually look at casino data Mm -hmm. um, from a Reno, Nevada casino. um, And they, they wanted to see, you know, what... What are people actually doing? Um, And do we actually see the hot hand fallacy? Do we actually see the gambler's fallacy playing out in the casino? Right. So in other words, a streak uh, presents itself in some way. Exactly. Will gamblers bet into the streak thinking it will persist? Or will gamblers bet against the streak thinking the opposite is due? Exactly. And so what they actually ended up finding was that Basically, the gambler's fallacy at the roulette table was fully operational when people started. They would bet more when there was actually kind of a string of losses, and they would actually bet against the outcome. So, for instance, if it went green, 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 they'd be much more likely to place their next bet 
on red. Okay. Regardless of whether green was winning or not. Yeah. Or, or of whether they were betting on green or not, right? Yeah. So if they weren't playing but were watching the table, they'd be like, oh, this table, red is due. However, when you see them at the slot machine, if they start winning, they're going to keep playing. And at the roulette table, they're going to keep doing the same thing if they're actually winning. And so you start seeing the hot hand fallacy there because you start assuming control even in a totally chance environment. So these are all fallacies available, but it does seem like uh, they describe exact opposite phenomenon. So how can we say the gambler's fallacy is is something people subscribe to and the hot hand theory is something people subscribe to if they're opposite things? Or maybe the answer is, there are some circumstances where we choose one and some circumstances where we choose exactly. the other. Exactly. So they're not actually opposite things. The gambler's fallacy is all about being due, as you say. Yeah. So it's about thinking that this is all about the law of small numbers, thinking that, you know, chance should actually be evenly distributed in, in, a the, short sh- in the short time, period yeah. of time. Yeah. And that's where it comes from. So you're not actually, it has nothing to do with you being right or wrong. It's all about thinking wait, you know, the next one should be a check because all of these have been pluses. The next one should be green because all of these have been red. Just not being able to say, you know what, in the short term, they can all be red or Mm -hmm. they can all be checks. The hot hand fallacy comes from actually predicting outcomes or being someone who's doing something like making a basket. So you're, you're actually someone who says, okay, you know, I am on a roll. And so I, I, I was correct. And so I am going to continue to be correct. So now it's about me. It's no longer about we're due. Now yeah. it's me making the right decisions. So they're, they're not actually opposites. Although there was some research recently, the hot hand fallacy was thought of as a fallacy. And then in some circumstances. Yeah, but then specifically yeah. in sports, it has been hot streaks have been proved. Yes. So sometimes the hot hand fallacy is not a fallacy. Right. The gambler's fallacy, however, is usually a fallacy, although there was a really interesting argument that was made by Steven Pinker uh-huh. a while back. So he, in 1997, wrote that he actually could see why the gambler's fallacy was kind of part of the brain's... I can too. Um, what did he say? Of, so here's, what, here's what he said. It would not surprise me if a week of clouds really did predict that the trailing edge was near and the sun was about to be unmasked. Just as the hundredth railroad car on a passing train portends the caboose with greater likelihood than the third car. Many events work like that. An astute observer should commit the gambler's fallacy. A gambling device is by definition a machine designed to defeat our intuitive predictions. It's like calling our hands badly designed because they fail to get out of handcuffs. So I think that that's a little bit too extreme. Yeah, that's that's like but, a beautiful poem, but right. I don't think it actually gets to the science of it. But I do understand what he means about clouds. Yeah. So we do have some natural phenomena where, you know, if you've had tons of rainy days, maybe you should have sun unless you're in the rainy season, <laughs> in, yeah, which case, in which case it's not going to come. So I do understand that sometimes in the real world, streaks are less likely. That said, I still think it's a fallacy. What were you going to say? I also think that I understand why I know he, he talks about brain chemistry. I understand why human beings would, why the fallacy can help them. So far, we've been talking about it as if uh, the fallacy is just a trap. But, you know, like they say, after a fat pope, a lean pope, humans tend towards equilibrium. And there's probably something safe about avoiding the extremes. And it probably at some point helped us, you know, avoid getting devoured in the savannah. It was probably adaptive at some times, like taking the middle. 
middle path. Yeah, and I actually think that it might even today outside the casino be psychologically adaptive. So imagine if you're, you know, if you keep losing and you're like, all right, I'm just a loser. I'm just always going to lose. You'll probably become pretty depressed and that's probably not going to be great for your well-being, your mental health, your physical health or anything like that. But if you're the kind of person who says, all right, you know, I've been, you know, my luck has been really, really shitty. It's due to change. Mm -hmm. Today's the day it's going to change. Yeah. Today's the day it's going to change. And you're able to do that for 365 days without your luck changing. Yeah. Then you're probably actually (laughs) going to be someone who's a happier human being. I don't know. Or you're like Gil on The Simpsons. (laughs) Oh, old Gil's due. Come on. Uh. Um, So I can definitely see a psychological adaptiveness to that, even though it's really maladaptive in things like casinos. So let's play Is That Bullshit with our gambler's fallacy, and I'll ask you, human beings tend to, tend to think of random events using the gambler's fallacy, which means if one thing's been happening, they tend to think the opposite's going to happen. Is that bullshit? Um, no, that's not bullshit. That's actually very true. And that even happens to people like Daniel Kahneman, who knows that this is something that's a fallacy. Even smart we'll people who pointed to the phenomenon exactly. first, although didn't name it. Exactly. And how about this? The gambler's fallacy, once you know about it, ooh, I think the Kahneman example may have tipped our hand, but once you know about it, you could really guard against the gambler's fallacy. Is that bullshit? Um, That is and isn't. So it's not bullshit in the sense that in very specific circumstances, you can guard against it. So for instance, in a casino, if you know this, you can probably step away from the table or keep betting on green. And if green's been coming due at this table right? (laughs) or not coming due, if green's been the last five outcomes and maybe the table's broken and maybe you should get in on that. Tables usually aren't broken. No, they're usually not broken. But is it going to happen to you? Are you going to be able to defy it every single time you encounter it in the world? Chances are no, even if you know about it, because – That's the thing about some of these kind of biases. They're very hardwired into the way the human brain thinks. And especially in a situation where you really want to believe you're due. I mean, do you really want to think that, you know, I'm going to keep being unlucky? Think about we'd have no entrepreneurs in the world if they actually just looked at the data for how many companies succeeded and how many companies failed. And if they failed at their first few ventures, they would probably stop if they thought that, you know, chances are I'm going to keep failing. Um, and yet you have those people who kind of keep keep at it and eventually succeed. Of course, for every one of those, you have the countless who keep failing yeah. um, and ruin their lives. Right. But but you need the outliers. But I, saw, I have this picture of Elon Musk at the roulette table going, it's got to be green. <laughs> I can't believe it's been red for so long. Yep. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game. She's working on a book about poker. She will not fall into the gambler's fallacy, except she probably has because she's a human. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. And now the spiel. In certain circles, media circles, there's a temptation to view our attorney general Jeff Sessions is somewhat elfin, specifically Keeblerian. And I say this is wrong. For one thing, as Tolkien taught us, elven kind are, quote, considered to be the fairest and wisest of any race of Arda given sapiens. Huh? I'm not sure I saw much of that in the Senate Judiciary Committee today. For instance, a creature of high sapience. Would that creature think to issue a clarification like this? 
CNN just published a story alleging that the intelligence community, that's of the United States of America. Yes, yes, of the United States, that intelligence committee. You are attorney general of the United States. And this was the Senate Judiciary Committee in the United States. It was clear from this what Jeff Sessions' tactic would be. When asked under oath by Al Franken to clarify various statements he has made and, as Franken put it, move the goalposts on about his connection to Russians, he would be taking umbrage, great umbrage, offense, effrontery. What else? Taken aback. Correct. Taken aback. High dudgeon but low clarity. Perhaps it was all a semantics game, but Senator Franken accused Sessions of first saying, I never met with the Russians, and then saying, I never met with Russians about the election, and finally saying, I never met with the Russians about screwing over the American public during the election. Now, Franken himself marshaled a few facts. This was a fact. The ambassador from Russia is Russian. It is true. And it's true Sessions' answers have changed over time. I'm not exactly sure how important the answer is or how much it gets to the deeper truth of actual collusion or actual corruption. But, you know, it was a spectacle and Sessions did not comport himself well. Let's just uh, let's just take this part. These documents allegedly say, quote, there was a continuing exchange of information during the campaign between Trump's surrogates, as if all of them, Trump's surrogates and intermediaries for the Russian government. Isn't that what you said? You're shaking your head. No, 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 all Trump's surrogates. It said (laughs) Trump's surrogates. Didn't say some of, said his surrogates. Okay. Let's think about this right here. When you say Trump surrogates, do you mean all of Trump surrogates or do you mean some of Trump surrogates? Let's analogize. If I were to say Trump's children, like Trump's children are involved in his business, is that true? Yeah, we don't. Yeah, it's true, right? Ah, but not barren. So clearly, I don't mean all of Trump's children. If I said Trump's wives are of Eastern European descent, you would say, yeah, but not Marla. So it doesn't have to mean all. If I said Trump's lies are just lazily tossed off and easily refuted, not birtherism. That one took years to tamp down. And in some circles, the tamping never took. So I don't think an assertion means all necessarily. Now, there was another way to judge, even without any context, there was another way to judge who was honest here, Sessions or Franken. There was a key rubric. How well did each estimate time? He took more than three minutes. Oh, he did. Yeah. He took about two and a half. Uh, well, go. No, no. How much do you want? Luckily for us, <laughs> the viewers who are watching this on YouTube, there's a time code. From this moment. Okay, thank you. Go ahead. Take whatever it's It was not a simple question. To Franken's assertion that he took more than three minutes, we have the actual elapsed time. And it was not more than three minutes. It was two minutes, 58 seconds. So Franken was wrong. He was three seconds off from being accurate. Okay. Later in the session, Jeff Sessions said this. So he gets to do about 10 minutes uh, uh, improperly framing this subject, and I'm given a short chance to respond. Aha. If you go back to when Al Franken was granted speech time by committee chair Chuck Grassley, we can calculate how much time it was. Okay, so it started here. Let me just deal with Senator Franken. Three more minutes, please. Okay, first of all, 
And then from when Sessions said it was 10 minutes, guess how much time it was? It was three minutes, eight seconds. So that's a few standard deviations away. So you see, you add all this up and I have a suspicion. I have a suspicion why Sessions is so bad at evaluating time. Elves, you see, do not physically age. They are immortal. They are not subject to illness either. But the guide for Middle Earth does say elves can be slain by violence or extreme negative emotion. Well, he seemed to thrive after that exchange, so I don't know if he really is an elf or not. Anyway, I shouldn't be engaging in the elven discussion. I guess I can't help myself from the scurrilous charge of elfism, and I swore that I would avoid that. Okay, final words, Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska. General, thanks for being here. Uh, there was some drama there. Sorry to have added to the drama and distracted you for a minute. I was paying enough attention there that I dumped a Dr. Pepper on Senator Cruz. So. Now, there is a politician who understands acting with clarity and openness in a way we could all get behind. And that's it for today's show that just was produced by Dan Schrader, who falls for the Rochambeau fallacy, which is to say, come on, rock, good old rock. The gist was also produced by Mary Wilson, who falls victim to the scratch-off ticket gambler's fallacy, which says that even if you don't scratch off three snowmen on a single ticket, you still have liberated some amount of snowmen from behind their wall of like tiny little tinfoil or whatever that material is. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, took to heart the Wesley Snipes gambler's fallacy, always bet on black, but did not follow through with the codicil, which says, take your winnings and flee to Namibia. The gist. I'm not a sucker for the gambler's fallacy, but I have fallen prey to the carrot of the county post hoc ergo prompter hoc syllogism. Let me spell it out for you. Perhaps folks call Tommy Yeller not due to his cowardly nature, but his cowardly nature arose as a byproduct of the case of jaundice that gave him a sallow appearance. Mm-hmm. Umperu deperu duperu, and thanks for listening.